I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Delighted to be sitting down with uh, Sarah and Teal from all the way out on the other side of the country, out in BC. Um, and we're going to be talking about contraception, but in a kind of a really interesting way, uh, because I don't know if people, like, I don't know how aware people are of this. I'm sure people in BC are aware, at least some of them are. Um, but uh, I, 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 I don't remember how this came across my my vision, I think maybe like someone, one of you guys maybe shared an article with me about it. I, I heard about it. But on April 1st, NBC, there has been um, uh, this wonderful thing that has happened. Uh, it's called the Access BC Campaign for Free Contraception in BC. So from what I gather, you can now get free contraception if you are a BC resident. But I don't know the ins and outs. That's why we have. That's why we've got people who know. That's right. That's why we got Sarah Teal. But I'm also, I'm also kind of curious. Like this is cool. It's, I think BC is the only place doing this. Again, we'll find out. But it'd be really neat if this was something that was going to happen across Canada. So, Sarah Teal, first of all, thank you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being our guest today. Um, give us a little bit of insight here. I know that this was like announced in February. It's now rolled out 11 days ago since of, uh, you know from the time of recording. That's fast. This. You guys are efficient. That is efficient. Um, how does this? How did this come to be? Like, where, where, what's the, what's the history here behind the the Access BC campaign for free contraception in BC? Well, I might jump on. The, I'll jump in on the history here, Sarah, briefly. <laughs> it, it, it might seem like it happened very quickly from when the budget was announced, when the policy was rolled out. Uh, we are a grassroots campaign that's been pushing for this policy for the past six years. So for us, it came as a huge sigh of relief and uh, was the culmination of a lot of work. Uh, Access BC is a small group of people. We started off as uh, three or four friends at my kitchen table complaining about the patriarchy and about the fact that people have barriers when trying to access free contraception or trying to access contraception. And uh, six years later, we're a team of 80 people who have been pushing for the policy. And we've, we've done everything from letter writing campaigns to mobilizing municipal councils. We put up billboards this year, which is fantastic. Uh, so it's been a really long campaign. But yeah, now in British Columbia, a large range of uh, contraceptives are free. Okay. I, I want to just get this clear because I don't know if you guys are feeling the same kind of like curiosity slash confusion here. Access BC is the, is the group that has been pushing for this. Is, is this like the primary thing that Access BC has been pushing for? Because the reason I ask is when I hear Access BC, I think of the DMV. Well, <laughs> the reason why I think of the DMV is because here in Nova Scotia, the DMV is called Access and Access NS. Well, Access Nova Scotia. I mean, it does like a thousand things. It does do it. Driver's licenses is kind of is one of them. It does fucking everything. Yeah. I mean, you want anything done with your identity? It has to do with Access Nova Scotia. That's right. That's right. So I'm curious, Access BC, like, is this? A, the, do you guys also handle driver's license? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, I mean, I, to the serious, to the, to the serious part of that question, like, is it, is it a, is it, that was serious. I, 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 what I mean is that, is it a, is it a, is it a, is it a group that has like a, that has like a multi, uh, that has like a multitude of goals or was it kind of formed and brought together specifically for this uh, campaign? We exist for the sole purpose of, Oh, go ahead, sir. No, 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 go ahead. I was, was saying okay. you go ahead. We're all too polite. Uh, Access yeah. BC exists for the sole purpose of making prescription contraception in British Columbia free. Very so we cool. set up around this one issue. Uh, when I say we're a grassroots campaign, we're not an organization. We started off as a Twitter account that sort of tweeted forlornly into the abyss for the first two years. Hmm. And um, the whole thing was floated on my credit card. And we were oh. we became eventually a website and a couple of social media accounts and a team of dedicated volunteers. Oh. So quite literally, that's all we exist to do. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, 
we've been trying to, you know, we've been chipping away at one root of the patriarchy uh, for the past six years. And most of the people in our campaign would like to see the whole, you know, patriarchy demolished. Uh, so at this point, it's, you know, we worked on one aspect. Um, a lot of us are going to be moving on to working on other things, whether it's free menstrual products, access to abortion. And uh, we're really excited out there in Nova Scotia. We There is an active campaign fighting for free contraception in your province, um, but it's being run through wellness uh, within and that's our, the Nova Scotia sister campaign. And over New Brunswick, the uh, New Brunswick Abortion Care Network is also fighting for the issue mm-hmm. there. Uh, so there's a bunch of, and there's activists in other provinces as well fighting for the, the campaign, uh, for the issue. But, you know, we exist for the one cause. And it actually makes advocacy a lot easier. It allows us to have really targeted messaging. Yeah. And um, we're, we've been laser focused on free contraception for six years. Cool. I, I, I just want to jump in and say, one, congratulations. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is really fucking cool. awesome. Uh, and, and also, I'm curious, like, why contraception like i when i hear you talk about it i understand the importance of it and and the first thing that i thought of was i know that there are small things in our community places you can go to sort of get these things like you know the halifax public library we had a a meeting with the library a few years ago and and uh they helped actually get this podcast started when we went into use a recording studio space but they also provide things to the community like like uh, menstruation products for free um and and I understand the importance of these products, but why did you specifically think, oh, free access to contra- contraception, con- contraceptive products is important for everybody to have? Like, what is so important about that? I mean, I think Teal was inspired when he went to the UK and saw that there was free contraception, and that's why he brought it here. But I mean, on a larger scale, it's a huge. I mean, it's. Um, it's really important for women's autonomy, for their decision-making, for women's health outcomes. It's a a basic human right. Uh, And I mean, from a policy perspective, it's also really important. I mean, it just makes sense. I think the the studies have been, have shown that, you know, $95 million in in, uh, public healthcare spending can be saved from just contraception alone. And there's a huge, yeah, huge barrier to cost, or there was a huge barrier to cost, um, for a lot of women and most well, pe- most people are, you know, um, are not talking about how it impacted a lot of marginalized women, women who uh, BIPOC plus women, black women, indigenous women, people of color. And so um, it's going to really tr- it's going to really help all women, but particularly people who had barrier being a significant cost um, for contraception. Mm-hmm. Am I and am one I am um, Sarah was kind of touching on this already where. You know, the, there's two. I was a co-founder of the campaign. My my friend Devin and I founded the campaign back in 2017, and I was yeah I was doing my grad school in the UK where all contraception is free, and came back to Canada after finishing my PhD and was shocked that it wasn't the case here. And not only that, but we couldn't find an implant because they weren't approved in Canada until 2018. So it was like it was really disappointing. And uh, I've been doing you know politics in Canada for years, and so I connected with with my my friend Devin who was on the board of Island Sexual Health here in Victoria. And we got the campaign up and rolling. But uh, I mean, I think one of the things that people don't quite realize, especially say cis guys, is we don't realize just how expensive contraception is and how mm-hmm. significant a cost of cost contraceptions are. Like Sarah, um, what are some of the prices that are yeah. out there? There's uh, yeah, so like the IUD can cost five uh, dollars. Uh, birth control pills can cost two hundred forty dollars for the year. The hormone injection. Um, uh, the hormonal injections um, were costing $180 for a year. And mm-hmm. what we also have to remember as as women burden the cost of those, right? So mm-hmm. um, that's less if you're on like welfare or if you're, um, you know, uh, on maternity leave and if you're getting $2,000 a month, I mean, $500 for just the IUD alone, like mm-hmm. that's huge. Yeah. And that's kind of what inspired me to get into get involved with this campaign is because as a nurse practitioner, I was working in a clinic, for example, providing uh, medical abortions and referring people to surgical abortions. So when people were getting medical abortions, the pills for the medical abortions were free. Blood work was free. Um, if they needed, if they had any um, complications and they needed to go to the emergency room, that was all like, covered by our healthcare system. When they came for their follow-up, the, again, the blood work was free. Um, if for the surgical abortion, it was all free. The surgeon, recovery room, everything was completely free. And then when they would come back for a follow-up and you know, we'd, t- we'd have a discussion of like, okay, well, we don't want this to happen again. So what can we do about it? And I would talk to them about the cost of contraception. Mm. They would say like, no, that's, that's too expensive. And so I even mm. had patients who came back again pregnant 
because they weren't able to access um, contraception because of the cost. And is that sort of like in what you said there in terms of like that $95 million number, like when, when, when you kind of miss this, when you miss this link in the chain in terms of coverage uh, from a, like a provincial standpoint, from a provincial level, then you end up basically getting these costs back into the system by somebody who, you know, maybe left their clinic having a medical abortion, but doesn't have the resources to be able to, to adequately, you know, make the choices to prevent that from happening from, from being, from being back there again. And, and of course there's a cost associated with that for the province. Yeah, it's the policy was completely backwards. Mm. I mean, the study from the $95 million that I quoted, um, it said that for every dollar spent on contraceptive support, uh, $90 can be saved in social spending, which is at least $95 million a year. So that's huge. Now, does this that's a, that's a 2010 study for options by op, options for sexual health? So that's a 10 like yeah. 13 year old study. Right. Uh, there's been a couple other ones done more re- slightly more recently. Um, if the program is rolled out across the country, a study from the Canadian Medical Association Journal Association Medical Journal they found that uh, it would cost about 157 million dollars for the whole country to have free contraception, but it would save. Three hundred twenty million dollars. Right. Can, I, I mean, can, I'm I, curious to know though. Like, you know, you 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 mentioned you mentioned the uh, birth control, the pill. You've mentioned IUDs. Um, I'm I'm guessing condoms are a part of this as well. Uh, or is or is it or are we just talking about like 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 contraception for uh for like people with uteruses? I also want to jump in and just say I didn't like just to highlight the ignorance of this. Like, I didn't know that birth control wasn't covered. Yeah. Or yeah. or IUDs. Yeah. I thought, like, I can't. I'm shocked because I didn't know that. I feel like that should be an obvious yeah. thing that people know. Do you guys? I, I did. Does know everybody this just know that? I did know this because, like, I mean, Kira just stopped taking the pill, but I was talking to her about the cost of it when when she was taking. I was like, holy Christ! And and you know, she was paying for that. She was paying for it for fucking 10 years. You know what I mean? Like just c- c- consistent, constant, like you and, and always have to be on it. I'm sorry. I didn't know that. That, that yeah. sucks. Like everybody yeah. should know that. But so, well, so this is why this is like such a big gender equity issue, right? Like yes. Sarah was saying, yeah. the costs yeah. of contraception fall disproportionately on women and people who can get pregnant mm-hmm. and like, and mm-hmm. also young people, right? Like one of the things that came up a lot in our campaign was some young people might be covered under their parents' health plan, but then they have to give up their privacy to get access to contraception, which like might be cool if your parents are fine with you going on contraception, but it could also imperil someone's housing. It can imperil their safety. So it's one of those things where there's so many different aspects to this. And, and like you said, like I would, I assumed it would be free as well. I was in the UK where it was all free. We were using the implant, which like, hadn't been approved in Canada until mm-hmm. 2018. It goes in your arm. It's a little uh, hormonal stick. Mm-hmm. It's super cool. You can like poke it at dinner parties and show off your contraception. <laughs> um, but at the time it was like, you know, $600 in the UK or, or whatever the equivalent was in pound sterling. Mm. And that's, that's a ton for like a grad mm. student who's, you know, totally broke. Mm. It might be worth noting like what is covered though. So um, yeah. Cause I, I, the other thing was like, the other thing that I was kind of curious about was, was like surgical sterilization. Um, like is, is that also kind of included in, in what's covered here? So it would be great to know because there are, again, there's, there's There's a vast amount of types of contraception. Um, and you know, it, it would be, it would be nice to know like what is covered what's not. Okay. Well, the first thing I want to say is that vasectomies have been covered for years. So that's number one. Um, yeah. I I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And then condoms while they're not covered, while they're not covered or included, included in as part of the plan i just want to say that you know if you go through any clinic in the bathrooms if you ask your healthcare provider if you go to the university bathrooms it's the condoms are widely available although yeah. people still have to buy them but they're just widely available and accessible whereas you can't just you know go and just pick up a pack of birth control pills yeah. um, i feel like so walking into a university yeah. today like there's condoms it's, everywhere. It's kind of, it's, yeah, it's kind of like trick or treating. Like you can just there's a basket somewhere sitting somewhere, like on some dummy, and then like you can just go like take one and put it in your bag and walk away. Like it's it, sure they they are very very readily available. But yeah, sorry, continue. Well, I got as a quick yeah. interjection on that. Um, when I was doing my uh, I was yeah. I got my start doing student politics years ago, and we used to buy full garbage bags, like the twenty the forty liter yeah. garbage bags full of condoms and we go through those in like three months. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're a dime a dozen or free in many university yeah. campuses. Sorry, yeah. Sarah, go ahead. Yeah. 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 And, and condoms are still important for protecting against mm-hmm. SDI. So they should still be used. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention back to the kind of the previous conversation was I, um, the birth control, the, the contraception pills were, are covered under a lot of plans for students. 
Um, so they don't, they may not have to pay for that. But the other, the issue is that many people for them, the pill doesn't work. And it's simply like inconvenient having to take a s- same pill every yeah. single day at a certain time. So, but then other kinds, kinds of contraception weren't covered. So if you're on the pill and you feel nauseous and you feel crappy and you can't remember mm. to take your pill, well, then there's a chance that you could get pregnant. So um, there was a discrepancy of like what was covered under the student plan. It was very like inequitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what, so now what's covered, what's um, been um, announced as, as coverage is most oral hormonal pills, the contraception injections, the copper and hormonal IUD, um, the subdermal implants, and then also plan B. Okay. Wow. Okay. I'm interested in like, in what the, um, it, I, and maybe, maybe it's chalked up, maybe it's chalked up to just the, the, policy and bureaucracy moves at a snail's pace and maybe that's it but like for example on the other side on the other end of moving slow is that you know jeremy has cystic fibrosis uh there was a new drug that was approved in canada like a year and a half ago or something like that 18 20 months ago and then within a handful of months every province like one by one rolled out a plan to cover it so that you know people with cf that had a particular kind of CF, the most common one, thankfully, is is uh, can it get access to this drug? That basically, like, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, in all for all intents and purposes, like cures CF in a lot of ways. You know, asterisks on that, but basically takes Jeremy's <laughs> life and prolongs it. it doesn't cure it, but it treats it more effectively than anything has ever had yeah, any dramatically. You know, yeah, dramatically, and that happened like that. Mm-hmm. It happened extremely quickly. I was, I was blown away by how fast it happened. This is taking six years, but like just as obvious of a thing that needs to be done. So what's the, what is the, what is the, what are the kind of like hoops that you need to jump through and the obstacles that you come up against in a process, like in a process in a campaign to cover something that I would imagine to the average person, they would go, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it especially, took us like 10 minutes to get how important this is. Yeah, like you know? <laughs> exactly. It's, especially in a country that already has universal health care and does a lot of things that are provided by the government in terms of you know, health care and treatment. I mean, I might jump in on this one just as the the resident political scientist, Sarah. Um, the fact that we don't have universal pharmacare is a travesty in Canada, right? We've been promised that for decades. And the fact that we don't is... It, it's it's ridiculous, right? Any government that you know is currently in power and is claiming to you know they're dragging their feet on universal pharmacare. They have been for years. The first time I ran for parliament was in two thousand and six, and we were talking universal pharmacare back then, and it was already a policy that had been well entrenched. The fact that all medicine isn't free is ridiculous. It seems very uh, strange to have to have to have one and not the other. To like you know to have the access to the health to the healthcare system, but not. You know, the medication. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible, right? Like a friend of mine um, dropped his pills and suddenly, you know, couldn't afford to refill them. He can go to the doctor as much as he wanted, couldn't, you know, couldn't refill his prescription. Uh, the one thing I should note when I talk about that is free prescription contraception often has to be adopted in a policy next to universal pharmacare because some contraceptives aren't classified as a medicine. So mm. Sarah was talking about, you know, IUDs are currently covered in British Columbia. That includes copper and hormonal IUDs. So hormonal IUDs, they're, they're contraceptive, you know, medication, but copper IUDs are often classified as a medical device. Right. And as a result, a lot of plans won't cover them, including people's private health plans. It depends on the type of plan. And so for us, it was really important to have free contraception and universal pharmacare. It seemed well. Obviously, it was a lot easier to get free, uh, free pharma, uh, universal contraception instead of pharmacare. Um, but we also see it as a way of opening the door. You know, so now mm-hmm. you have this policy that's going to improve health outcomes. It's going to make more, life more equal. It's going to, you know, help people uh, make life more affordable, and it's going to save the government money. And we all know that universal pharmacare also saves governments money. It's you know one dollar to two dollars savings. Um, but the you know the savings for contraception are even more dramatic. So the hope is that this kind of demonstrates, again, if we didn't need another example of why universal pharmacare is so good. But yeah. to answer your question directly, I mean, there's a lot of misogyny in, you know, in, in healthcare still, right? And I know I'll, I'll defer to Sarah on some of the questions around like pain management and how drugs are approved. But you can look at, say, the way that there's different contraceptives for people with testes, um, sort of you know, air quotes, male contraceptives. They've been dragging their, their themselves through the approvals process for decades I did dinner with uh, one of the people who was on the research team developing one of the male pills 13 years ago, Ooh. and it still hasn't made its way through approvals. And so there's a lot of misogyny there. I don't know, Sarah, if you want to speak to that, because I know there's you know, a lot more about some of the uh, the challenges there. I mean, yeah, I think it just shows that patriarchy is alive and well in our healthcare systems and in all, all of our systems. I mean, uh, the fact that 
I, I mean, just to kind of go off with what you're saying about universal contraception, I totally, or universal pharmacare, I totally agree with that because I have a lot of patients who are upset about the fact that, for example, the patch isn't covered. Um, the patch is a type of like a little, um, like a little sticker that you put on your arm. Uh, many women, many uh, of the patients that I have are using it uh, to help women with menopausal symptoms. But then under this new plan, it's not covered. Um, or there are a lot of people who are using the ring and that's what they prefer. And that's not covered by the healthcare, by the new, um, the, the, by the new coverage. Uh, so there's the discrepancies in what's covered and what isn't covered. And that's why, again, we need a universal pharmacare. We need universal pharmacare um, in, in British Columbia, but also all across Canada, because uh, it's really confusing people. And again, there's barriers to accessing it. Um, and yeah, I think the biggest, biggest challenge that I think we have to fight for is, is just the patriarchy in our systems. And I think the fact that now we have more of a balanced cabinet, um, that's, that's probably helping. Well, I also just wanted to build on what Sarah was saying as far as things that aren't covered. So we're very excited about the policy. Yeah. It includes plan B. We didn't think to ask for plan B, right. uh, but there are, in addition to the ring and the patch, the other two that aren't quite on the list yet are Ella and Lolo. Uh, Lo, these are yeah. Lolo um, is sort of a, I'll let Sarah explain what it is, but um, Ella is a, is a emergency contraceptive like plan B, but it works for a longer period of time and for people with higher BMIs. Um, and then, um, Sarah, you, you can explain what Lolo is better than I can. Well, I mean, it, it's just another type of um, horp, like oral contraception, but there's just level different levels of estrogen and progesterone in each pill. So if people have side effects, then you can tend to go down or up on the t- on the um, level of progesterone and, estro- and um, estrogen. So people prefer um, certain types of the oral, oral contraception, and they've been on it for years, for example. Um, but then now all of a sudden they're like, well, we have to change it up because what we are usually used to um, are not covered. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the Ella, yeah, that's, that's another discrepancy because I know that's another um, really significant um, barrier because the Ella um, is effective for people, is more effective for people who are, uh, for women who are over 170 pounds and over. And that's uh, like a lot of women in our society. And then you can also use the um, Ella for up to five days um, after unprotected sex, whereas plan B is only 72 hours. Okay. Is there so, a, I didn't know yeah. that that was, is there a, so there's obviously a very real risk that somebody could, that somebody, if they're over a certain weight, that they are going to take plan B and it not be effective. Is that, is that the case? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. The copper IUDs have something around uh, BMI as well. Is that right, Sarah? Um, to be honest, I, I have to look into that. I, I don't know. And that's I, like a, yeah. a plan B is like plan B is a plan B is like a packaged product as well. Right. So if you go to a pharmacy, it's not like they're going to say, you know, oh, here's your, uh, like, here's your like weight on a chart and like the coinciding dose of plan B that you need. Like, that's not how that would, that's not how that would work. Obviously that I guess, or else there would be no need for a product like Ellie. Yeah, I mean, I think I think some pharmacists are pretty good at being like, well, you know, this is great, but maybe this won't work for you if they, I don't know, see a patient right. or if they have mm-hmm. a patient's weight on their uh, computer system, whereas some pharmacists just hand it over to mm-hmm. someone. Um, just, I, just for people good. who don't like, I, I mean, I'm sure most people do, but maybe there's like, you know, maybe there's like a 13 year old virgin listening to this right now who's who's like, this is so over my head. Like, I have no idea. What is plan B? Yeah, so Plan B is a type of uh, medication that you uh, that you take. Um, usually, it's over over the counter. Um, before it was th- like that too, but it has its cost to it. And um, basically, it prevents um, the um, the fertilization um, of an egg, so of an egg and a sperm, so that you um, people don't end up um, getting pregnant, even if they've had unprotected sex. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Um, you mentioned Teal about. Uh, you didn't ex- expect for them to give you plan B. I'm curious about how the policy making process went in terms of like how the decision was made of like what was included and what wasn't. So I, I can't necessarily speak to like which medications were included and not. We've been communicating with the ministry of health around that, asking them about like, Hey, why, what about Ella? Uh, I, one of the reasons why Lolo probably didn't make the cut is it's relatively new. And so, you know, but the conversation we had with the ministry was basically, 
the pro- the policies in place, and they can simply change the formularies to add more contraceptives to it in the future. So we're really excited because you know, if new emerging contraceptives come out, they can be added to the list. Um, and again, uh, you know, things like the the ring and the patch can be added in the future, and it's a lot easier to add a form of contraception to the list as opposed to creating a new policy, which is great. Mm-hmm. But as far as the, you know, the process went, you know, we were really laser focused on universal, no cost prescription contraception. And we wanted it for everybody. Um, when you look at other countries that have done this policy, some of them have restricted it by age. So for example, France in 2018, they made prescription contraception free for all young people under 25. And now they just made condoms free for young people under 25. That's fantastic. We're, we, we would be we would have been elated about that policy, you know, mm. three years ago. But then, of course, people who turn 26 don't magically uh, suddenly get the ability <laughs> to afford a $500 IUD, and the patriarchy yeah. doesn't just evaporate when you turn 27. So that was that was a problem. And the other one is some places will have you know free contraception, but a very limited range. Um, and so our concern was say, oh, they're only going to give out copper IUDs or only one or two types of pill. And we always say, you know, when it comes to contraception, it's never one size fits all. And as you know, Sarah was explaining, some people might have adverse reactions to one kind of uh, contraceptive. They may it just may not work for their lifestyle. You know, one thing we haven't talked about yet is you know, intimate partner violence. You know, some people you know may need a more discreet form of contraception mm. because their partner is you know manipulating and sabotaging their birth control pills, mm. um, or because of their lifestyle, they need something like an IUD or an implant that partners may not be aware of. And so, you know, one of the other risks that we were worried about when the policy was being developed was that it would be not expansive enough. And again, you know, as Sarah was saying, there's still some contraceptives that aren't on the list, but it's a massive improvement. And I will add one other thing, which is there's still other barriers. Like when we talk about barriers to accessing contraception, they compound. And so you have cost as one. It's a major one. It particularly impacts, you know, marginalized people and young folks. But there's other costs as well. There's stigma and taboo around sex. There's a need to travel. You know, so someone's living out in a remote community, they may need to hitchhike into town to go to a clinic to get a prescription, take time off work or school, that's another barrier. Um, And then the need for a prescription is a further barrier. And one of the things the provincial government has announced, and they're going to be rolling out um, sometime very soon, is allowing pharmacists to prescribe some forms of contraception. And that's huge. uh, Because, you know, right now, as Sarah was saying, someone who might be on the same pill for the last 10 years they don't need to, they don't need to sit down with the doctor and do another consultation. The pill's been working fine for them. They just want to renew their prescription. Mm-hmm. And that's taking time up from our already stressed out healthcare system. It's taking time off that person's day. And so, you know, what would be great to see and what's happening in BC is allowing pharmacists to prescribe some contraceptives. And then in some countries, some contraceptive pills, you don't even need a prescription. And that's moving in the future. Now, I can't speak to which pills that would be. But, you know, the idea is sort of removing all of these barriers and making it easier for people to access this important, you know, life-saving medication. And we're starting to see progress here. favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Speaking of that too, like um, I I know that like on April 1st, this became um, free and accessible in that sense. I imagine that a, a large part of now the challenges is educating people that this is available and out there. What sort of um, roller plan is there in place to educate the population that, now that this is available and to address some of these other um, issues that you highlighted. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, well, I wanted to mention in terms of the barrier to access, one of the big thing is um, that it's not uh, a free contraception, prescription contraception isn't available to all residents because we do have a large population um, who are living in Canada who don't necessarily have MSP and don't necessarily have status. So um, if you don't have MSP, then you're not going to get that free contraception. So we have people who are um, visitors here or who just, um, just you know, one thing led to another and they just don't have status and they're not able to access that free contraception. And they're actually the ones who need it most. So they, if they end up um, getting pregnant and giving birth in Canada, that's going to cost our healthcare system, again, money. 
And um, and with that, uh, I think it's really important. I'm uh, so my family's from Iran. I'm from Iran. Um, I speak Farsi, and when I speak to a lot of um, people in my community, they still don't know that it's covered. So one of the big things is trying to educate non-English speakers and having um, access seeing different forms of media in, in, um, in Punjabi, in Hindi, in Farsi, um, in Mandarin, in Cantonese, to, to, to try and raise awareness about the fact that it is covered and it is free right now. Um, so providing that, having it free is one thing, but letting people know about it so they're able to access it is another thing. Uh, and I'm really um, passionate about that. And, and so far, I haven't really even seen any posters in different languages um rolled out by the government saying you know this is free in, in farsi or in, in different languages mm-hmm. um i recently interviewed with um farsi media for our, for our newspaper article um and so hopefully that will try and um, inform some of the farsi speaking community but i really hope that um people just tell their friends if they speak a different language share it on their facebook on their social media whatever it may be to raise awareness about mm-hmm. it this, this I want to jump on that. If I can jump on that briefly, with this yeah. kind of policy is also really good for education policy. It takes time for it to to sort of roll out. But yeah. one of the things that we talk about on the campaign is when you make prescription contraception free, you allow people to ask their medical practitioners about their options. You know, someone's not going to take time to make you know, to book an appointment with a doctor to ask about contraception they can't afford. And so now you have you know those conversations happening more and more. It's gonna it's gonna start happening. Um, but on top of that too, you know you have the stigma and taboo around sex and sexual and reproductive health that continues to pervade our society. And so when you make prescription contraception free, and we have conversations like this, or you know we get on national television and talk about different kinds of contraception, um, it helps you know basically remove those stigmas and taboos a little bit. It's a lot yeah. easier to make a policy like free contraception than it is to change you know, centuries of misogynistic patriarchal oppression and weird taboos around sex. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things where it takes time, but this is a really important part of that because it starts those conversations, which people aren't going to have if they can't Mm -hmm. afford the contraception. Yes, Sarah, one of the things that you said about the, um, having, uh, the information in different languages reminds me of a conversation that we had when the COVID vaccines were rolling out and like Mm -hmm. how to most effectively distribute vaccines to a population that, you know, is multicultural and speaks tons of different languages and, you know, has different sort of relationships with the healthcare system in terms of yeah. like, you know, how much they trust the system and how much like the, the system really appreciates them. buy-in from mm. different communities. Totally. And, and I'm wondering if there's anything that you're sort of drawing from in terms of like inspiration or things that, that you've seen in the medical community that you've learned through things like, you know, the rollout of COVID vaccines that you're sort of like leaning on or, or using to apply to, um, some of the same challenges that you inevitably face um, with getting the information out about this. Well, I would I would love to see the same level of momentum, um, be, you know, be behind free contraception as it was behind the COVID vaccine. I saw so many. Um, I saw like us, um, like different community events um, in gurdwaras, in mosques, in churches, um, of just you know, South Asian doctors talking to the Punjabi community, uh, talking to their community about um, the COVID vaccine and why it's important. I saw like um, Zoom panel, people to ask questions, um, like, uh, yeah, community, just a lot of community events around it about why it's important and why people should get it. And, um, but I'm not, I'm just not seeing that level of momentum about this. Um, And uh, I mean, I, I hope that the government continues to monitor and evaluate the policy and uh and really pushes for this Mm -hmm. for all the uh like to that point about um you know the 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 sort of like the gigantic nature of the push for um for vaccination when it came to covid is Mm -hmm. is like you you kind of you know for all the negativity and polarization that surrounded all of that um you know we did get a gigantic portion of a entire massive country to do a thing, yeah, mm. which is hard. Well, the pushback <laughs> very was hard. was a vocal minority, too, right? Like, yes, right? Yeah, like, yeah, it was yeah, such a course, small amount of people, of course, relatively. But, but what I what I mean is that like we got something gigantic done relatively quickly, considering the size of it, and and there was a lot of advocacy and push for it, and and when you have something that is out there that helps. And, and like bringing it to to this conversation around contraception in BC, a massive portion of the success of that is 
the willingness to like sound the alarm, like to, to put, to push it out there, you know, mm-hmm. just, just having it, having it is like obviously the big, the big, you know, piece and then pushing and then pushing it to get it, to get the momentum is, is sort of like the next big hurdle that, hurdle yeah. that you need, that needs that, that we need to get over. And, you know, you would like to see, you know, especially when you have something that is, you know, so important and so beneficial that it gets an equal amount of, 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 of buy-in from like a marketing and communication standpoint of, uh, you know, for lack of a better, uh, for lack of a, of a better term, term on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And then another layer of that would be, okay, so we have millions of people who don't have a family doctor or a nurse practitioner. So how are they going to schedule that appointment to go get the free contraception? So then there's another added layer nice. to that. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I worked at the urgent care center, people who, who you know, we had people who were just waiting in the in the waiting room for five six hours just to get a prescription refill and so um what i think about is if thousands of women are coming into the urgent care center to walk in clinic to get that free contraception well what does that look like for our healthcare system mm-hmm. so there needs to be support um for, by the government for example maybe even hiring a whole bunch of nurse practitioners and doctors to go like do um community outreach or like go to like the women's centers or go to gurdwaras and do consultations about birth control because you don't necessarily need like an exam room for that mm-hmm. um to, that, to be able to talk to women about their options or for example even having days in the clinics after hours um where you know two three hours in the evenings it can be dedicated uh for women who are wanting to get free contraception but don't have access to a family doctor or a nurse mm-hmm. practitioner or can't get an appointment with one um because even if they do have one it's honestly like mm-hmm. the appointment time is probably two months from now is- um so I'd like to see that too. Is that is like would this be something that that a a pharmacist could could kind of handle? Like I know that it was recent here in Nova Scotia where like if you had was it strep you could like go I think you can just go to the pharmacy. There was something there was something or, recently. Oh no 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 sorry, Zach, what, no Zach not, was talking no, no, about it's, it's not strep it's not strep it's a, a yeast infection. If you have a yeast infection you can go to the pharmacy and you can just say hey I have a yeast infection. And the pharmacist will, or, or maybe, maybe no, sir, maybe it's a, um, uh, I'm fucking this up. But it was something that you no, need. It's a, it, no, 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 I, I got it. I got shot. it. I mean, it's about the flu shot. Yeah. The example I was using was, it was, it was actually a urinary tract infection. Yes. That's and okay. and you could go, you could go to the pharmacist and the pharmacist would go, okay, cool. We can give you the, whatever it is that you need to treat a, a urinary tract infection. Whereas before they, they actually couldn't, you had to go to a family doctor. And if the family doctor was, you know, closed on the weekends, but you found out that you had a UTI on the Friday night, then you got the whole weekend. It's like a huge fucking thing. Right. So it's like, why not, why not just give the professionals that actually have like a vast knowledge about the thing that you're there to talk about, Mm -hmm. be capable of like giving that information to someone like, is that something that a pharmacist could theoretically do if, if we allowed them to do it? Yeah, well, the province is exploring that, right? So at the moment, uh, the provincial government is going to be allowing pharmacists to prescribe some forms of contraception. We don't know the details of that policy, but absolutely, mm-hmm. right? Like, obviously, getting an IUD inserted, you're you're, you're going to want a uh, you're not going to want to you know pick that up at the pharmacy if it's your first time. You might want to talk to you're going to want you're going to talk to a medical practitioner. Yeah. Same thing with maybe you know an implant. But yeah, if you're taking the pill and you've had the same pill for you know, for years, or even if, you know, you want to just try different kinds of pills, um, as far as which kinds of prescription contraception could be easily prescribed by pharmacists, I'll leave that up to the professionals to, to determine. Sure, but sure. a lot of countries have done that. The other thing is telemedicine, right? So, you yeah. know, people in remote communities, you know, you have the added additional barrier of travel time and travel cost. And, you know, I've never had an IUD inserted, but I could not imagine hitchhiking home after having one inserted. One of our, our members of our campaign grew up around a hundred mile house and told stories about hitchhiking into town to get an IUD prescription, hitchhiking home, taking yeah. another day off work and then hitchhiking into town again, getting the IUD inserted and then trying to hitchhike home. I, I couldn't imagine that. That's unfathomable to me. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many other barriers that exist. The provincial government here in BC is, is starting to change, but I want to talk to your question a little bit because as far as communication goes, in addition to talking about free contraception here in BC, we want everyone in Canada and, and further afield to have access to, to prescription contraception. And you know, one of the things that is just happening right now in the States is we see a rolling back 
of people's fundamental reproductive rights. You know, it was just recently that a judge in the States was trying to ban Mifepristone and Mifcomizo. That's the abortion pill, uh, Mifi for short. You know, this is a pill that's been on the market for 20 years. It, it's used to treat things like cancer and stomach ulcers, and they're coming for your reproductive autonomy in the States. And so one of the great things that's happened here in British Columbia is in addition to making prescription contraception free for folks here, we're a beacon of hope. Like things are getting dark in the States um, and, other, and in other jurisdictions. And so one thing that's great is we're trying to inspire change across the country. And, and it's happening. Like I mentioned, there's a campaign in, in Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. There's one in New Brunswick. There's a campaign in, in Manitoba and one in Ontario. And just this past week, a campaign was set up in Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. So there's people who are advocating for the policy. Um, and so that's part of our communication as well, which is talking to other people and people in other provinces and saying, you can make this change as well. And it's starting to happen. There's a, a progress being made. And my hope is that this sort of has a, like a, you know, uh, it, it takes, it, it grows and yeah. takes across the country, you know, and it grows across the country. What, what is, what is preventing um, other provinces from adopting this? Like what, like are there sort of counter arguments that you're hearing of like why this shouldn't be done? Like, again, like in the first five or 10 minutes of this, conversation it just seems like not only is it the moral and ethically right thing to do but it's fiscally the right thing to do like it just makes it just ticks all the boxes it just entirely <laughs> makes sense what like what are the objections that you're hearing or why haven't why is bc the first province to do this so we've been doing advocacy on this for six years and we have yet to encounter an argument against free contraception that wasn't deeply bathed in misogyny there just aren't any good arguments against it. Mm -hmm. um, and I do a lot of our social media and deal with the trolls because it, it's nice to, for me to take up space there. And to, I'm an old <laughs> high school debater and I don't mind crossing swords with uh, idiots on the internet. And, you know, the first thing someone, the knee jerk reaction from the, the dude bro behind their computer screen is often, oh, I don't want to pay for someone else to have sex. Spoiler alert. We live in a system with public health care <laughs> where like if someone... Right, you're already paying for someone to you know to have sex. Right? If, as, as Sarah explained, unplanned pregnancies are covered under public health care. They're at a higher risk to complications. Those have costs on the person as well as the healthcare system. We have publicly funded abortions, and abortion is way more expensive than an IUD. And on, on top of all that, if someone can't afford contraception, they may also struggle to raise a child. And so, you know, that's there, there isn't an economic argument against this. And so what it is is a bunch of misogynistic people who are unhappy about giving other people access to exercise their reproductive autonomy um, or want to control women's bodies and people who can get pregnant's bodies. And it's just it's a bunch of ridiculous misogyny. And uh, so, you know, we've been looking at across the country, the NDP in the Yukon, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, Nova Scotia have all put forward uh, motions or have committed to making prescription contraception free. Quebec Solidaire in Quebec has committed to the policy. Like a couple of days ago, the NDP in Manitoba tabled a private member's bill on free contraception. Governments can implement this policy right now, and they should. And governments that don't, we should be looking at those governments skeptically and saying, do you actually care about people's reproductive rights, their reproductive autonomy? Do you care about women and people who can get pregnant? And if they don't knit off this policy, kick them out and put someone else in who will support reproductive autonomy. Mm -hmm. It really and is I like, yeah, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to add that it has to do with um, ignorance as well, right? So we don't have a robust sexual health education curriculum yeah. in our high school. Uh, men don't know the cost of contraception. People think like maybe they think it's like a dollar or two dollars. They don't know that it could cost five hundred dollars. And then the other thing is like just not knowing um, what contraception is used for. So not as I said before, or, um, before many people are not using contraception for just to prevent unwanted pregnancy. They're using it for conditions like PCOS, certain mood disorders, for acne, people who have debilitating periods, for menopausal symptoms. Um, so again, like, yeah, it's just a, around ignorance and, and not knowing what it's for and how much it actually costs by the men in our society. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm glad you brought that up because, I mean, that's something that I've been kind of harping on for years, which is the fact that no one, I mean, not to like assume or speak for either of you, but I'm assuming nobody on this, in this conversation right now grew up with like a comprehensive sexual education. It's not something that oh, yeah, people our not. age got. It, it unfortunately is not something that the, that, you know, that my nephews are going to get. Um, and, and it's like, that is a massive, massive problem. And that problem, that problem trickles down into exactly what it is that we're talking right now. We're talking about right now, which is like, the the you know the the like legislation le legislation around sexual health and sexual well-being 
I mean, it's like, like it, it really, really, the, the educational system really may, needs to make some like massive, massive changes in the ways that we communicate sexual education to our youth because it's, you know, it, I mean, it all starts there. It all starts yeah, from that one I mean, point. I mean, of being familiar with, you know, what it is that we're talking about. And not to like, not to even like extrapolate further because I feel like you can keep going with this on you and can, on, yeah. but like relationship dynamics and then yeah. like the need to go to therapy. And mm. the, the, I, I mean, I think everybody should go to therapy personally, but, but, uh, but like it just, it just keeps going out and expanding and that, that, um, inequitable relationship dynamic that this inevitably causes mm -hmm. with the way things are, it's, it's fucked up. Mm -hmm. I think about the things that I, I think about, um, you know, we, we all live, uh, like central, uh, in, in downtown Halifax and, um, you know, like it's a, it's a, it is a very socioeconomically diverse, um, area, especially where, Jer where Jeremy and I live. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you really, you, you see the people that are suffering the most from not having access to something like this. Mm -hmm. Somebody whose socioeconomic situation has been shitty their whole life and shitty in a cycle of generations for a whole mm -hmm. bunch of really awful reasons. And then having an unplanned pregnancy and an unplanned child that compounds, compa just compounds those, those issues, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, um, you know, having that, uh, having that be something that we see here in Nova Scotia would be, yeah, would be fantastic. And like, and, and thank yeah. you for being the beacon of hope and for working on this for the last six years to, uh, you know, to be the, you know, to be the shining example that, um, mm -hmm. that other provinces need to follow. Yeah. And I, I also want to say thanks for, you know, for, for taking time out of your schedules to have this conversation, because I think, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm making an assumption here, but I, but I assume there's probably a good amount of people that saw the title of this episode or read the description of this episode before they listened to it and thought, Hmm, that's cool. And then they listened to the conversation and went, Oh wow, this is, Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. This is actually uh, far more important than I probably would have thought about like just, just on a whim, you know, mm -hmm. there's so much more to this than just the headline of, Hey, free contraception in BC. Especially if your experience has always been had parents, uh, parents insurance and then you know if you went to university and mm. then or what if you went to university i didn't go to university if you got <laughs> if you got a job that had that gave you you know health insurance and whatever mm -hmm. and you always mm -hmm. had you know health coverage and every time you went to the pharmacy you only paid two bucks you know for the, the whatever nominal fee the pharmacy charges you mm. for getting your Guys, picking up your birth control we like, should it's much, far more far more important than we should know. make the title something more impactful than like like safely fuck the patriarchy or like yeah. fuck the patriarchy with protection or like something like that. No, no. We, we want to smash the patriarchy. Oh, yeah. this is one of the, we, we take the gloves off for the patriarchy. Yeah. We want to pull the shirt over its head and give it a few shots. I wanted to mention something briefly about, you know, some of the things, one thing we didn't talk about, we recently had the trans day of visibility and one, another group that's, you know, particularly impacted by barriers and stigma and taboo are trans friends trying to access contraception. And one thing that was really inspiring here in BC was when they rolled out the policy, they said it's not just about reproductive autonomy. It's not just about preventing unplanned pregnancies. It's not just about improving the management of chronic gynecological conditions. It's also about gender affirming care. And that yeah. was really big um, as well. And we were really excited to see that too, because, you know, I imagine, you know, some of my trans friends going into like a women's clinic trying to get an IUD inserted and like that's, you know, pink clinic or whatever. There's a lot of other barriers that those mm. people experience. And so there's, a, you know, there's so many other barriers. And I think it's important to say, you know, this is a huge step here in British Columbia, but there's so much more work to be done. And, you know, we say the roots of the patriarchy run deep. So we got to, you know, smash them all. And, um, but the really inspiring thing, the inspiring thing is that it can be done. Right. So mm -hmm. folks who are listening in Nova Scotia, check out wellness from wellness within. If you're in New Brunswick, the New Brunswick Abortion Care Network is, is working hard on this. In Saskatchewan, it's Universal Access to Contraception Saskatchewan. They are a brand new group. They need help. Uh, in Ontario, it's all like medical students and they're cover contraception. And they're great, but like they're medical students. They're super busy. Um, and birth control <laughs> access Manitoba. Again, they're all medical students. Mm. So, you know, folks are sitting around at home and they're like, hey, you know, the patriarchy sucks. Um, you know, talk to these groups, share their stuff online, give them some money, talk to your you know local councils. And it's also worth underscoring that this is part of a broader suite of reproductive justice initiatives. Right. And so, so if you're in a place of work and you're talking to your boss, 
demand free menstrual products in the washroom. If you don't have them in your place of work, that's ridiculous, right? And there's so much more work to be done. And so it's worth noting that you can take these big problems like the patriarchy and misogyny and break it down to small chunks and smash them one after the other. Mm. And, and it works. And we, we did it here in BC and, and folks in other jurisdictions should step up, can step up and get in touch. Um, we're accessbc.org. And so people can go to our website, get in touch with us. We have an outreach coordinator that deals with everything outside of BC. And Devin will help you do whatever needs to be done to help you smash the patriarchy in your province or territory. Sweet. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for taking time to sit down and chat with us. This has been a real treat. That was a pleasure. Sarah, did you want to add anything at the end here? No, I, I no, that was great. I, I always say, you know, when people are like, like, oh, what can I do? And I say, like, free prescription contraception is kind of like the low hanging fruit for a smashing <laughs> patriarchy because it's such a policy that will um, save healthcare dollars. And, you know, in our capitalistic system where we're all about money, all about economy, but may not may overlook um, women's rights and reproductive justice, like, that's a way to win them over, too. So um, I really hope, as uh, people said, as Atil said, people get involved um, and form their own groups um, and really advocate or give people money for people who have already formed groups like this um, because it can be done and uh, hopefully the next step is universal pharmacare amazing thank you guys this has been really great That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even Better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sipway. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.